I want to uh, uh, thank you for asking that uh, question. Uh, I think it's Prakash who said that. Uh, yeah, Prakash. Uh, we have a leadership principle, and I'm going to read it out for you. The leadership principle is called "Have Backbone, Disagree, and Commit," and it reads as leaders are obligated. So the word is obligated. That is not option. It's obligated to respectfully challenge. So there is respectfully, and there is challenge decisions when they disagree. even when doing so is uncomfortable or exhausting uh, it says leaders have convictions and are tenacious they do not compromise for the sake of social cohesion once a decision is determined they commit wholly now see this ram the 16 leadership principles this is one of them and it takes into account the fact that there will be this hierarchy and seniority but it puts into the responsibility of every single leader in the company to say you are obligated to respectfully challenge things which you do not agree happy new year this is your first webinar of the year very exciting um for those of you who well who are here or listening later this webinar gives you one cc so core competency unit for your icf renewals so if you need that please make sure to look out for the email afterwards from us to claim your certificate and remember that every single week the webinar counts for one core competency certificate one hour i should say um except for our first uh webinar of the month which actually can go either way usually used to be resource development but for example um last week we kind of got into core competencies a little bit so who knows what's going to happen but if you need renewal credits um you don't need to wait until the end of the year to collect those please attend our webinars and please claim every single week so that you're not left scrambling like you know who you are but a lot of you were emailing me <laughs> december 20th <laughs> with things like what do i do well what you do is attend every single week so you don't have to email me december 20th but um if there are any of you in the audience who still need to renew and your deadline passed at the end of december it's okay life will not end the world has not ended you can still renew your current icf credential until the 28th of february there's a small penalty it's like one point something uh units of um additional you have to provide but nothing crazy so if you missed your deadline please don't miss the extended deadline um because things get a little harder to fix after the 28th of feb and speaking of that you might be saying but magda i don't have the units they didn't magically show up since december well we got you covered because we're coterias what we do for you so we in addition to our webinars we do obviously coach training which all of you know but we also do the shorter programs that uh help you earn cce credits um they vary in length but there's one that's coming up very soon and that is actually if you're if you find today's webinar interesting which i know you will I think this is a good program for you to consider because today um you know we have an amazing guest who loves coaching and happens to be working um have spent a career in organizations and happens to be working in one of the biggest organizations on the planet right now. So if you find things to learn today interesting you will definitely enjoy our systemic team coaching program. We have just a few spots left in that one. Um but what that is is essentially kind of like the next step so if you know coaching if you're already a coach and you want to work in organizations specifically and you want to work with teams with groups with systemic uh type interventions then that program is the best one for you to further your knowledge and yeah really get into that systemic work so um you will get 30 units of core competency credits so if you need to renew your credential 
that program will tick the box for you as well. So, you know, you get to have several benefits in one go. If you are new to coaching or you don't have a credential yet, but you want to get into coaching in organizations or, you know, business coaching, that kind of that side of coaching, then we actually have a specialized coaching foundation program that's starting in a couple of weeks with uh, one of our MCCs, Pooja, who based in Vancouver, and um, she has spent her career working in organizations uh, and organizational coaching. So if you're just starting out and you coaching foundation is the place for you, I highly recommend that you consider this program that's coming up. So we have all the times listed in India time only because those time zones never change, but um, we pick this time to make it as accessible to as many people on the planet as possible. So check it out. And then of course, for those of you who already have coaching training or your ACC or have done foundation with us, um, Pooja is also going to be doing an advanced program also focused on organizational coaching or coaching in organizations. So that's an option on there for you as well. Please email us at support or me, Magda at Kocharia, and we will help you get into the right program if you have questions. So I'm going to vanish. I'm going to stop sharing and I'll hand it over to Ram to introduce today's session and our awesome speaker. And let's learn together. Great to have you here, everyone. Thanks, Magda. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, yeah, just to continue on what Magda said, just it's, it's important because um, uh, we get so many people at the last minute in December asking us, oh, okay, how do we get our uh, CCUs for credential renewal? And uh, it's basically pretty sad because ICF does give you three years and then everybody sort of snoozes for three years and suddenly wakes up like Rip Van Winkle at the last minute. And so it's going to be a problem. It, it does cost you money if you really want to go to any of these programs to get that. So we are trying to do it as uh, though our webinars are free. And if you manage to face it out in a year, you can easily get all the 24 hours of four CCUs that uh, you need for the credentials. But uh, unfortunately, at this point in time, the only option is for you to do this. And under special cases, ICF may extend the deadline of end of February. So if that's going to happen, you might as well ask for it. And you may have to suffer some penalties in terms of additional hours. Uh, so there you are. But one of the things I, I want to say is, as this is the first um, uh, webinar for myself uh, this year. And the last two years have been, in many ways, um, uh, I mean, it's a word which is often very, very badly misused. It's been life changing. Um, many people think it's life-threatening. I don't think it has been. Uh, even if you really have been at the receiving end of uh, some uh, tragic aftermaths of the COVID, by and large, it's made people realize that uh, nothing's forever, nothing is, in, nothing is permanent. And therefore, there are things which are far more valuable in your life than chasing after wealth and power and all this kind of a nonsense. And, um, and a good example is we'll probably cover it when we talk with Akhil. He decided to take, uh, despite the fact in Amazon, they don't let you get away. <laughs> he was away for about a couple of weeks with his kids, um, uh, deep diving, scuba diving, and all that kind of a stuff. And so and that's really what needs to happen more and more. I, I think there's a great movement of what's today being called as a great resignation where it's pretty much impossible to get good quality technical people. They are not interested in coming to office anymore. And uh, the first question they ask is, okay, can I work from home? Will you give it to me in writing? And will my career not suffer, et cetera? So people are rewriting the rules of organizations today. And that's the way it should be. For 200 years, organizations have ruled people. They have made them slaves. It has been hierarchical. Finally, the worm is turned. And so after the industrial revolution and knowledge revolution and digital revolution and all that. I think finally it's people revolution as far as work is concerned. And I'm truly glad that's happening. And people are trying to find out what really matters in life. What's the meaning of work? What's meaning of my life? And how do these two, the meaning of work and life come together for me? And that's extremely important. And so one of the reasons I 
wanted Akhil to come today is truly that. Uh, I'm also trying to change the pattern of this program to reflect these kind of changes that are happening rather than just talking about coaching. Of course, they will be sufficiently related to coaching to be credential for CCUs. But far more importantly, some of the work that is going on in companies that you don't normally associate with the kind of shifts that we are talking about here. Um, so without wasting too much time, let me get Akhil in the picture. Akhil and I met not too long ago, but a few months ago, and somewhat accidentally because we were doing some work for his company. And then I suddenly realized that there was this guy who, like me, had spent close to 20 years in Unilever. And believe you me, there are any of you guys that from Unilever here. Um, it, it's, it's a very familial bond. And whether you worked at the same time or you didn't, you somehow are connected. So it was an instant connect. And when I messaged him, linked up with him, and then he contacted he and his wife, Rupali, Nina and I, my wife and I, we, we met together. And it was amazing. It was two people who haven't even seen each other, have talked a few times, chatted a few times on Gmail or whatever it is. And then suddenly you come together and you find that you share so many things in common. And that's what is culture. People talk a lot of BS about culture. Culture is just a collective behavior like-minded people coming together and they're trying to evolve a pathway which works for each other. I have your back. I can take care of you. And it wasn't that a company like Levers wasn't competitive. It was extremely competitive, but it wasn't a rat race. It wasn't some place where one rat ate another. And I recently saw somewhere only two rats are left in a James Bond movie in Skyfall or someplace. So it's not like that. It's, it's very, very different. And there was another company whose people I interviewed, the two companies I totally, totally respect. Tata's, where I never worked, but I have had lots of friends. And some of those people came together, I think, in November or December when we had a session. And uh, later, I would get Magda to post that uh, video for you. And I sent it to Akhil. I said, please do listen to it. It was about this Harvard professor, Rohit Deshpande, who talks about that terrorist attack in Mumbai and how the entire staff, about maybe 500 people, every one of them, and despite the fact which that Rohit did not really say that, but I know it to be true, the management asked them to get out. They said, please go away. Don't stay here. Your life is at risk. They refused to go. Not one person left. And there were others within the city, not very far, five-star hotels or whatever it is. Everybody ran away. And out of them, about 30-odd people died trying to save the guests. And uh, one of the reasons why I think both Ikel and I connect with that is also on that particular day, I was no longer in Levers. Ikel perhaps was that um, the Unilever chairman was here and there was a banquet uh, at the Taj and Lena Naya speaks in that program about how she experienced uh, the culture of Taj, the culture of the Tata group. So that is what really what defines the behavior of people and it's got nothing to do with how brilliant you are. In fact, at the end Rohit says in that uh, TED talk, Tatas do not recruit MBAs, uh, Taj Hotel at least. They go to the second tier hotel, second tier cities, and they pick up people not because of their grades or anything from high school and colleges, only because of their attitude and behavior. Do they respect their parents? Do they respect their elders? Do they have compassion for other people? Are they client-centric? Following the principle of what in India we call Atiti Devo Baba, which is the guest is God. And in a slightly different note, perhaps, Amazon is not in the hospitality industry, but they have this word as part one of their directive principles, Akhil can talk about it later, customer obsession. 
at the end of the day, whatever you do, you do for... And, and Akhil was telling me a few stories, which I would like him to recall today. Uh, it, it totally, it, it truly, truly brought tears to my eyes because these are the kind of things which truly make you believe in humanity. And you don't have to be a coach to be able to say, hey, this is what I do, I'm being spiritual. No, you can be an employee of any company, like for example, Amazon, and at the same time be able to do what you do so well, so compassionately, so other person centrically, that the whole company's culture is defined on that basis. So today, I, I don't want to talk too much after this, I just ask a few questions. And if you have anything on the chat, you please put it in. If you want to ask Akhil directly, I'll convey that to him. But Akhil, I know that we had talked about a few things and we had a few little points about exactly how the culture evolves in Amazon, et cetera. But before that, you were in Levers and you were in another family managed company in between. And then we both know them and you then moved to Amazon. So in what way has whatever you have experienced before, probably from even your family upbringing to the school, college, et cetera, has made what you are today to be able to drive the culture of this company. By the way, I didn't introduce Akhil properly. He's a vice president of operations of what is called the rest of the world, the whole Amazon world other than uh, Europe and North America. So pretty much all of Asia, Australasia, uh, South America, Africa, all, all that Middle East and everything comes under him. So he controls one third. Of, and it, it's one of the probably the highest growth areas in the, in, for Amazon in the world. Um, so he, he is sufficiently senior and sufficiently knowledgeable about what's happening in Amazon to talk to us about it. So yeah, I can, I leave it to you. If you, wherever you want to start, if you could just trace your career a bit before we go into specifically what you're doing and why you are doing and why Amazon is doing what it is doing. Thank you. Sure. Over to you. Thank you, Ram. Uh, first of all, let me uh, thank you, Magda and Kocharya for giving me this opportunity to be here with this August audience. Uh, and it's, it's an international audience. I was just looking at the attendee list. So thank you for the opportunity. It's an absolute honor and a privilege. And um, I'll really look forward to this session where I can learn a lot more than what I speak here. So thank you so much for that. Um, I come from a military background family. My father was in the armed forces and therefore, as I grew up, I moved around the country, uh, especially in the north and the northeast part of the country. So Rajasthan, and then there was Sikkim, Mizoram, Nagaland, and then Kashmir, and that's where I grew up. I spent about 10, 12 years in Kashmir doing my high school and engineering. So by education, I'm a mechanical engineer. And then after engineering straight out of college, I joined Unilever. And I spent about 19 years in Unilever in manufacturing operations um, across South Asia. Um, it, was a, it was an exciting stint. And I think every single day I learned something very, very uh, unique. And I, there was an opportunity for me to grow myself. Um, and I spent about 19 years in supply chain doing make, non-make, um, including running factories, building factories, and op running operations, and central functions like engineering, quality, and new product uh, deployment innovation. Um, after that, I spent uh, three and a half years with RPG Enterprises. Um, I was a supply chain leader for KEC, which is a company, which is a flagship company in the EPC space. It's a global company. And at any point of time, it has projects running in more than 40, 50 countries in EPC, especially around power transmission and distribution. A very different kind of a role, very different kind of a supply chain. In Unilever, it was about ice creams and color cosmetics and tea and soap and detergents and shampoos. And RPG was more about transmission line towers, steel and so on. So I think I learned a lot there. And then in 2013, Amazon happened to me. And it was a time when I moved out of my previous job uh, to a company which had not even launched in India. Uh, but what stood out for me, and especially when I went for my interview to US, it's, what stood out for me was the culture around customers. And I think as I talked to more and more people, I realized that I could relate a lot to what I saw in Unilever and what I had done some amount of work in RPG and also the RPG uh, work which was done there on quality and uh, customer satisfaction. Uh, so that was a common thread for me to be attracted to uh, Amazon and the fact that 
it was uh, one of the companies which was considered very innovative. And I can talk more about innovation as we go along, but it was an innovative company. I liked the culture. It was absolutely cool and unique. Uh, it was eye opener for me. I was sitting there for my interview in my jacket and suit. And there is this person with his headphone and shorts in January, walking in with a dog. And I thought like I was in the wrong building. And then I asked, went to the reception and told them like, I'm here for an Amazon interview. And they said, this whole building is for Amazon. So I said, this person who just walked in, is he an Amazonian? And they said, yes. And I thought, wow, this is a culture which is very cool. And it's a culture which is open, transparent, and something which doesn't really worry about who dresses, how, or, and so on. It was really, really cool. And I think uh, it blew me away. And when I spoke, spent two days with people there trying to understand more about the company and the role, I was convinced that it was a leap of faith that I would be willing to take, uh, even though it had not launched in India at that point of time. So uh, that was a brief background for me. And then over the last eight and a half years that I've been at Amazon, I've basically built operations from scratch in India. Um, and then over a period of time, I started managing other countries, including India. So I now manage APAC. We have Japan, Australia, and Singapore in APAC, including India. And then in the Middle East, we have Saudi, UAE, and Egypt. And then Latin America, we have Mexico and Brazil. So I, I thought... These are the regions where there is absolutely really large amount of growth year on year. This is also a region which has very different cultures, very different dynamics, very different uh, business environment. And it's been an opportunity for me to really look at it and reflect back on what we could do as an organization. And Ram, you talked about culture. And I think in my mind, when I talk about culture, I think it's about, the, it's a common set of beliefs. It's uh, customs, it's traditions, it's artifacts, it's art, it's trends of a particular group of people um, or a particular part of the society at any place or time, right? So culture changes with location, culture changes with time and culture changes with the groups that we are talking about. So we talk about Indian culture, French culture, we talk about the youth culture, we talk about today's culture and the past culture. So culture is relative in many ways in time and dimensions of place, time and the kind of subset of people that we're talking about. And one way to think about it is it's also a set of shared values, uh, value systems, beliefs, tenets, goals, practices that um, an organization or employees of an organization adopt and they work upon, or that's their guiding principle. And I think for Amazon, it's more about uh, a culture which has got its bedrock in the 16 leadership principles that we have. That's the bedrock of the Amazon culture. And I'll talk about the leadership principles. They're available on Google and I'll put together a link to, uh, to share with the audience. But uh, we had 14 leadership principles and very recently in the middle of last year in July, we added two more and we'll talk about why there was a need to add two more and what they are about. But that's really the bedrock. That's really the fabric of the culture of Amazon. I mean, those 16 leadership principles are the ones which you would not see just hanging on a wall. They are the ones which are practiced, spoken about, demonstrated day in and day out. And I think I saw the culture uh, very differently. I saw a culture which was demonstrating these leadership principles in a very unique way. If you were to step back, if I was to step back, there are three or four key things that Amazon uh, is guided by. And I think the first one, as Ram, you rightly called out, was customer obsession. Uh, the company obsesses about customers, uh, obsesses. And obsess can be seen as a derogatory word in some ways in dimensions, but it's about very close to literally that passion bordering on the edge of madness, right? You're obsessed about something. Uh, and we, it, we, it's not that we don't look at competition, but we never focus on our work on competition. It's always about the customers. So working backwards from our customers, putting ourselves in the shoes of the customers, being the advocate of our customers and identifying what do we need to solve for them and inventing on their behalf, I think is one of the value um, systems, which is really, really important at Amazon. Uh, the other piece that I would call out is um, the culture for innovation. Amazon is seen as a very innovative uh, company, a very innovative, very collaborative company where you have lots of things which have been built over a period of time. And uh, what fuels that innovation is, I think, one of the dimensions of culture to say, how does this company build devices and Kindles and at the same time runs a website and at the same time runs AWS and now is into different technologies and so on. So I think the second piece is about inventing and innovating. The third one is about operational excellence, right? Um, as a company, and I speak more about operations at this point of time rather than the whole company, but I think that's a heart of the organization from a consumer business point of view. How do you excel at operations in a manner 
which is precise, accurate, and repeatable. Uh, Ram and I were discussing, and I was asking Ram, Ram, how far do you live from the airport? And he said, an hour away. And I said, Ram, we are running uh, an operation in a country where distance is measured in hours and not in uh, kilometers. And that's in that kind of an infrastructure. When we come, if you go to the website and say, in the next, you will see in the next order in the next two or two hours and 17 minutes and we deliver it to you next day. And I think that's where we start drawing the line between on the edge where we go and promise to our customers uh, an output of operational excellence. And the fourth thing that I would call out is long-term thinking. Um, we are not here for the short term. Amazon has never done anything which is optics or just for the short term. There are many initiatives. The Climate Pledge is a great example. New leadership principles are a great example of how we think long-term. And the company is not just about today. It's more about tomorrow rather than just today. Um, so that then leads to the mission to say, how do we continue to be uh, Earth's most customer-centric organization and also strive to be Earth's best employer? And the Earth's best employer is a new leadership principle that was coined in 2021, July. Um, so as employees, I think one of the things that we take a lot of pride in is what we call as day one mentality, Ram. Uh, day one mentality, what does day one mean? And I think uh, it's a very cliched term in the organization and it's found its way outside the organization as well. But day one, the mentality is about the approach of doing everything uh, with the energy, with the passion, with the entrepreneurship spirit of uh, what a new organization would do on its first day. Day one mentality, right? So you are excited, you're focused on your customer, uh, you're moving fast, you are walking through one, uh, two way doors very quickly. And therefore, this approach about keeping and doing everything to keep customer trust, I think is a big driver for our day one approach, day one culture. Um, I think it was 2016 when um, Jeff Bezos uh, in his shareholder letter, it's a 2016 shareholder letter if I remember correctly, where he said uh, what day one culture means for him. Uh, he said uh, the culture where you're obsessed by uh, for your your customers, you're obsessed with your customers, you're inventing on their behalf. And our customers can be very different kinds. So people like you and me who buy on Amazon, our seller partners who sell on Amazon, people who consume Amazon services, whether it's publishing, whether it's Amazon Studios, Amazon Music, people who use Amazon devices, and so on. So our customer base is very, very different and uh, broad-based. Uh, the other thing he talked about was uh, speed of decision-making. And I think that's another piece uh, that I would like to talk about to say how in Amazon we make high quality decisions quickly. Uh, there is this whole concept of one-way door and two-way door. A one-way door is one where you would pause. It's an irreversible decision and it has significant impact if it has to be reversed. And that's where there's a lot of debate. But once the debate is made, um, you move. There might be people who might not be aligned to the debate. There might be people who might disagree. But then once we have debated and there is disagree and commit done, you move forward, move fast. At the same time, two-way doors are ones where you can move forward. And even if it is an error, you want to go back, you can do it. And that allows speed. It allows empowering people down the line to move faster without waiting for people higher up to make decisions. And then um, I think in one of the all ends uh, at Amazon, uh, somebody asked Jeff Bezos, and I think it was a question which was uh, in some ways very unique to say, Jeff, you always talk about day one. What does day two look like for you? Uh, and Jeff uh, answered, and I'm going to repeat what he said. He said, day two is stasis, followed by irrelevance, followed by excruciating, painful decline, followed by death. And that's why it's always day one. Now you see how he put together what day two could look like for a very large, rapidly growing organization. Uh, to say, if you don't focus on our customers, if you don't focus on the spirit, the culture, uh, it's going to be a painful decline followed by death. And I think that's what day two means for uh, a lot of us uh, to say, that's the culture that we never want to have. Uh, and I'm saying this because many people have heard day one and some people have asked what day two means. Uh, therefore, uh, it's important to understand that part. And these leadership principles are what we practice do day in, day out. Uh, I talked about customers, I talked about working backwards. So in many ways, Amazon culture is also very unique uh, and it's peculiar. Uh, you might say, what's peculiar about Amazon culture? I'll give you just two snippets of that, right? So one of them is about when you are launching a new product, you write what is called as a press release. So let's say I'm building a product and I'm building a product for, uh, which might launch two years down the line. 
before I even get started on the project, I'm actually writing a press release to say, on the day of the launch, what will the press release look like? What will we be saying in the press release? What are we going to be announcing? Uh, and along with the press release, there's what we call as FAQ, which is the frequently asked questions to say, what are the FAQs for our customers who are external and what are the FAQs for our customers who are internal, right? Of our, the internal stakeholders. Now that writing of the PR, the press release, can have many, many, many iterations. And I've seen some of them when we were launching new products and new programs in India and other parts of the world. It is a long process, but it's a process which helps us to really identify what are we solving for? What are we inventing for? And that allows, thinking on behalf of the customer, it allows us to have what we call as an insurgent approach. Um, Bain talked about uh, insurgent approach in uh, founder mentality. Uh, they talked about founders mentality and they talked about what does an insurgent mean? Uh, very simply put, an insurgent is somebody who's within the organization who's challenging on behalf of the customers, either the organization or the industry, right? So they are advocates, they are advocates, but they are the insurgents who are challenging or fighting a war on behalf of the customer with the organization or with the industry. And I think that culture is the one which keeps challenging us, raising status quo, upending what we have today to build for tomorrow. Uh, so I think that's a piece that we relate to, that's the culture and you talk to Amazonians and they would talk about what means for them. Peculiarity many, but if you were to look at it in Amazon, we don't have PowerPoint presentation, which is one of the reasons why I don't have any slides. It's more of a conversation today. Uh, we don't have any PowerPoint presentation. We write a lot in Amazon. We write long documents, six pages. We sit down in a meeting, take the six pager, all of the people in the meeting, read it for 15, 20 minutes, whatever time is required, and then discuss and debate there. It allows us undivided attention, but more importantly, this writing a six pager allows the author to focus on what's the most critical thing. And as you write, you clarify your thinking. Now, I came in from a very different organization is everything was PowerPoint, everything was PowerPoint and we would make presentations to clients in KEC or work with uh, Unilever, everything was PPTs, right? Uh, in Amazon, it was just completely different. Similarly, if you look at how we hire people in Amazon, the interviewing process itself is very unique. As part of the interviewing process, there's a person who's a bar raiser and a bar raiser is like, you have to be certified. It's not like anybody can become a bar raiser. The bar raiser's role is to ensure that any talent which is coming into the organization is at least 50% better than the existing population of the organization, right? So it is raising the bar and that's what their role is of being a bar raiser. Now, one could say, hey, what's this bar raiser and why does a candidate have to talk to five different people individually? So there are no real panels. You won't find people, five people talking to the candidate one shot. No, no. It's a one-on-one. -on -one. Every interview is an hour conversation and everybody is evaluated. Uh, the same kind of questions are not going to be asked from the candidate, but we look at the candidate in a very different holistic dimensions across leadership principles after evaluating the technical and the skills that are required for the job. It's very peculiar because you don't see this kind of an analysis. You don't see this kind of a, a recruitment process in other organizations. So I'm, I'm going to pause to see if you have questions for me, Ram, but I could keep going on and on. I can tell you what's the benefit of this, but I'll see if you had a question for me. Yeah, sure. The, it's more than a question. The first comment, of course, is I think you, you are pretty much a manifestation of the day one approach of Amazon, the way that you speak. You are so excited, so passionate, and whatever you are conveying, you are absolutely coming out as so totally authentic. It's, it's truly amazing. Thank you. And uh, I am I'm not surprised that uh, you are one of the senior leaders of the company and also wherever you would have been, you would have been that, but obviously you are very aligned to what the organization is thinking about. Um, from there, I would like to switch to something else. But before that, you talked about the company. I would like to go deeper into the people. One of the things that I think I briefly talked about that with you and, uh, you know, just like you did moving to the going cars, uh, after levers, I moved into a family managed companies, Deep Anand and Anand Group. And like you, I learned a tremendous lot from, from the founder of this family owned company. Amazing man, totally amazing man. Even today, I, I truly think back of him with 
tremendous respect and gratitude. One of the things he taught me was, he said, soon after I joined Ram, we, you know, I, I was brought in to turn around the company, which I did and, and so on and so forth. But anyway, he said, you know, I would like to specify a few things as a culture of this company. I said, yeah, I've heard a lot about it, vision, mission, people have them there and publish them and uh, nothing happens, a lot of BS. He says, no, I don't want it to be that. But the way I would like it to be is if I wake you up or anybody else in the organization at any level in the middle of the night and ask you, what does this company stand for? You should be able to repeat that to me. I would like it to be between three and five, not more points. Right. And we eventually created, I think, a four or five point culture, which was amazing. I, maybe, I mean, they were not something tremendously special, but in terms of respect for people, in terms of openness, in terms of being uh, true to what you believe in and stuff like that, it was all somewhat philosophical. Now, my question really is what one level is to, Amazon has 16. And so if I really were to put Mr. Anand's uh, uh, measurement metric on this, it would fail that because it's far too many for anyone to remember the 16 directive principles. So one is <clears throat> that, okay, what does it then really boil down to? Into Like the day one stands out for you in terms of how Jeff Bezos described it and maybe other things. What are the few things? And within that, there was this whole question that you and I talked about several times about empathy, which is you are taking it as uh, something almost like a hero's journey as far as you are concerned to inculcate that space. I would come to that uh, in, a, in a, I would like you to come to that in a few minutes. But before that, you mentioned to me a few cases, which was the one I, I really said that brought tears to my eyes in terms of the couple of guys who went and bought Holics for this lady. And there was another uh, girl who was a worker and the parents were worried about it and worried about her being working in that COVID days and how the flow manager was handling that. So can you tell us a few things about the, how the ordinary people, the Amazonians, uh, make this culture alive and then go into the next step of what, okay, within those 16, what are those key things that you're looking at to change the Amazonian way of uh, life in a different way perhaps? Thank you. Great, great question, Ram. Thank you for that. Um, I think um, the pandemic is still here. It's not gone away in a hurry. It's still around. And I think my examples are, and I'm used the pandemic uh, situation where all of us can relate to this. Um, at this point of time in 2020, early 2020, when the pandemic was just beginning off, uh, one of the things that we realized was our customers needed us the most at that point of time. Uh, the country was shutting down in March in India and many other parts. I'm just not using India as an example, but we saw similar shutdowns in Europe. We saw similar shutdowns in uh, America. We saw similar shutdowns in Australia and so on. So that was a time when our customers needed us the most. Uh, they wanted essential supplies. They wanted staples. They wanted medical supplies, critical products, um, devices, oximeters, and so on and so forth. That was the time when demand was surging. And that was also the time when the country went into a lockdown. India went into a lockdown at that point of time, right? So the government basically said, if you are at home, you'll get paid. Now, imagine this situation where the demand is going up. We need to serve more and more customers. It's our, it's our moral right to help the country by ensuring that people don't need to step out of their homes uh, in this situation and keep themselves safe. And at the same time, you have and the requirement for people to come in and help out. And I think one of the things that we basically focused on was ensuring that our people are safe. That was the first priority for us. Um, and the mental model, Ram, is take care of your people. If you take care of your people, they will take care of your customers. Uh, it's a very simple model, uh, but it's hard to implement often. So taking care of people mean a lot of things, a lot of things. I mean, we provided them with facilities, we've provided transportation, passes, and it was actually very inspiring to see how people stood up. Um, I, I gave you that example of the woman, uh, Nasira Bano is her name, so she's from Bombay. Uh, she was in the delivery stations. Um, 
she's, by the way, she's a person who's an individual who with speech and hearing impairment. Um, and she supports her brother and a mother. And when we had the COVID, I, because of the lockdown, she wouldn't, was not able to step out of her home. And then we engaged with her and we were able to help her to come to operate, to work. Uh, and her parents were very concerned because uh, she was speech and hearing impaired, number one. And she, she was also uh, had to travel to come to our operations uh, to, in the delivery stations. That was a time when people on the floor helped her. The managers, the area managers walked around, showed her. She took videos. She explained to her families why this was safer than most places. Uh, she did the safety training on videos and then continued to work. Now, it's an amazing story in light of the fact that the country is shut down, the cities are shut down, you can't travel, there is no public transportation. And here is this one person who wants to serve customers because she has seen enough levels of hardship and she knows how that can be uh, solved for. Uh, the other example that I had was the Horlicks example that you talked about, right? So uh, this was Bombay, COVID, city under lockdown, two delivery associates going together and their name was Shoaib and Jaswant. Uh, they were on a bike. They were delivering a shipment to a lady, 93-year-old lady. Um, they gave the shipment to the lady and she said, beta uh, or son, can you help me get Horlicks? Because that's what my doctor has prescribed and I don't have any stock. So it was not an order that she had placed. It was not an order on Amazon for Horlicks. It was a request to two people who had come in to deliver an order to her. The markets were closed. These two boys, they traveled 22 kilometers on the bike away from the service area. No one has asked them to do this. No one has asked them to go and help this lady. 22 kilometers, they traveled to find a shop which was open so that they could buy Horlicks for this lady. And then they traveled back another 25 kilometers uh, to go to the lady's house, give her the Horlicks, told her if you need anything else, here is a number and went back. There was no Akhil telling them to do this. There was no question that they asked to the station saying, can we help this lady? No. And I think that's the culture that we, I feel super proud of. I feel excited about. And your question about how do we build the culture is again, I will tie it back to what we see around us, artifacts. When I joined the company, I heard examples of managers in North America and Europe. Akhil, I want to stop you here for a minute. Sure. Because I want to say something about it, which you are not going to say yourself. How does this culture happen? And you told me this story and your wife was laughing as you told us this story. And the story was this, that in Rajasthan, in the height of summer, and at that time, Amazon had a rule that everybody had to wear a jacket on top of whatever they were wearing. And then he went with uh, a guy who took him on a bike. He was riding pillion and he was wearing this and he found there was no way that he could wear it. It was sweltering. And so he told him to take it off. He took it off. And, and so there was something that on a personal experience. And then with him, he went to a place where whether they were related or separate, I, I don't remember now. So they had a regulation that a van should be, a delivery van should be either loaded or unloaded within a certain period of time. And uh, so I still wanted to test it out by saying whether he could do it. And he found that it was extraordinarily hard for him to do that. And so they revised it. If people who are so senior are willing to go down to the foot soldier level and to be able to do that, and in fact, to that extent, I would certainly say whether it's the levers or Tata culture, that is where we both were trained. And I remember when I trained as a management trainee or I joined the company as a manager, whatever at the senior level, if there was a need, we would go down to the shop floor and work with the operators or work with the fitters or whoever, the salesman, if you were in the marketing team. And that was a training that we were imbibed in. And that culture, is what it then really creates. It's, it's, it's of course a bottoms up culture in the sense that everybody believes in it, but it's also a top down culture because bunch of you. So the question that I asked Akil was, how unusual are you an animal in this space? Because one hears so many other things about Amazon that it's a extremely difficult culture to work with. He said, no. And yes, of course, people are always stressed because the customer obsession drives them, but it's
something that is coming from to talk about it. Yeah. Because I'm totally proud of what you said that day and because it is so much heartfelt as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. I think what's important, Ram, is uh, our ability as leaders, and this is not just Amazon, in any organization, any kind of an organization, whether it's a service, manufacturing industry, anything. If we put ourselves in the shoes of people and ask ourselves, can I do this job the way I expect them to do it? Uh, I think we'll start becoming more humbler. We'll start learning far more than what we've ever learned. Um, so in Amazon um, operations, any leader, uh, irrespective of any manager who's joining in, and not just people who are in operations, even my partners in HR, finance, or, or legal, or public policy, they all do one week of what we call as Associate Experience Week, AEW. It's a week where they will work like an associate. They will unload a truck, which is what example that you were relating to, Ram, where I unloaded a truck in Arizona in the US and I could figure out like, okay, this is hard work. And therefore you start thinking about it very differently. Or the fact that you would be a picker and you would walk around and pick for the customer orders or you would pack. And therefore you start learning a lot more because you're putting yourself in the shoes of the people that you lead. And people will, what they go through, if we experience it, I think we become much more sensitive to their needs. And I think that's where this whole piece about empathy is coming in, Ram. Uh, we talked about it to say, what does being an empathetic leader mean truly? What does it really mean? What does it mean when we say lead with empathy? And I think um, leaders who can sense, and I'm using four words, leaders who can sense, and understand and acknowledge and respect. Sense, understand, acknowledge and respect the feelings and emotions and experiences of people around them. Uh, I would say those are people who are leading with empathy. They people, because they're listening, they are understanding what's going on, allows them to create a very honest, open conversation. And that open conversation leads to a space which is um, I would say with a lot of psychological safety and mutual respect. And in that space, which is safe with respect, which is mutual, people are willing to go out of their way. People will take bold bets. People will not worry about failure. The fear of failure is gone because there is a safe space. And when people take bold bets, it, I feel like there is this whole opportunity of letting them do uh, and unleash their potential, inspiring people because there is this safety net. And I think somewhere in Unilever, I learned that, Ram, uh, you might have been familiar with that to say, uh, Rajesh Lal was my boss and I was just a very young uh, engineer. I was in the soap factory in Bombay. We had to make a new soap, which was like a kidney shaped soap. So it was very unusual. And uh, when we looked at the machine, which made it, the manager manual said, you can't use make this soap because the dimensions were beyond the machine. Uh, my boss basically said uh, to me to say, talk to your team and see if there's anything we can do about it. And my and I was very young. I was like 24, 25. And I talked to my team and they said, look, if we cut the slide of the machine, we think we can do it. But the slide of the machine is the heart of the soap stamper, right? It's a stamping machine, stamps the soap. And I went to Mr. Lal and I told him, like, boss, this is an idea that the team has, but it's a bit of a risk to take because if we cut the slide and it doesn't work, then we are without a slide and this machine goes out of operation for three months. Uh, and he said, do you think the team can do it? And I said, the team feels they can do it. And he said, then go ahead and do it. Well, that night, we worked since morning till night. And I think at around one o'clock, we stamped the first tablet. I uh, called him up at his home in the middle of the night to say we were able to stamp the soap. And next morning, first thing in the morning, he comes in, talks to the team and thanks them for the effort. A very important lesson that I learned at that point of time was uh, what he did not say, but I felt later on is success is your failure is mine. And for me, that was a kind of a safety net to say, if it goes south, if it goes bad, I'm here. You don't worry about that. I will take care of it. I figured out that it was a space that he created for me to take a bold risk with my team. And I think when we are empathetic leaders, and by the way, most of us have to do a lot more in terms of empathy. I might be saying this, but I think we have enough and more to do. We are just scratching the surface of being an empathetic leader. Creating that psychological space allows people to open up, innovate, invent, do more, go beyond, 
and that becomes a flywheel of inspiring others. So if I do this with my team and my team does it with somebody else and they do it with the last operator on the field, it's a circle which is a positive circle of influence. And I think that is one thing that I would like to talk about uh, when we talk about empathy. In empathy, I would also ask this question, what matters, you or your work? If your work matters, then there's a challenge. But if you matter, if you feel cared for, if there is interest in you, your needs, your challenges, your dreams, your ideas, your aspirations, your barriers, the person feels that this is why we are talking. This is why this is an empathetic leader. So I think one of the things that I have taken away, and I think I have a lot of work to do on this is, when we engage with people, one of the questions in the back of my mind is, what is mattering to me at this point of time? Is it the person or the person's work? As long as we think about the person, the work will get done. Uh, people are smart and intelligent and we have hired them with a lot of uh, bar there. Uh, so that's the other aspect of empathy that I wanted to bring in uh, since you asked about empathy. Akhil, yeah. Uh, the question that comes up for me as we lead from to that is there are a few other examples that you talked about, of course, in levers. You, you like me, was a bit of a maverick and you said you used to leave irrespective of what happened. And you experience, you talked about your uh, experience with Rajesh, a dear friend of mine, and how he handled it. And that, of course, was levers. I mean, that's a way the senior leaders and leavers behave. So now in terms of empathy, now you are planning to be a coach. So soon in a year's time or so, you will be credentialed as a coach uh, and a systemic coach as well. So what we are essentially talking about really is about this culture, about like, for example, in your organization, if you feel empathy has to be in the driving seat to bring those principles of customer obsession, innovation, world's best place and responsibility and all that together. And so you beautifully put it together as the person. Empathy is about sensing, understanding, acknowledging, and uh, what was that last thing that you said, whatever you said, uh, those four Respect. things, respecting um, the people. And I totally agree with you, the emotions and feelings and the thoughts and uh, the behaviors of people. So in, in what way do you think uh, maybe perhaps the conversation that we both had probably had a little to do with in terms of inspiring you, hopefully, maybe, and maybe I'm being arrogant, but um, if, if that was what happened, so in what way do you think that coaching is going to achieve uh, in the future, the kind of dreams that you have? Yeah, and um, again, uh, I'm starting off with myself. Uh, that, that's the reason why I put up my hand to say, I want to put myself out there be a coach myself uh, in a structured manner. I think we all are coaches in different ways, uh, but I think I wanted to be uh, structured in a learn it the right way and then have my own style. But I think I talked about um, sensing, understanding, acknowledging, respecting. And I think a large part of that is about listening. Ram. When we listen to people, we acknowledge, when we are sensing them. And to do that, you have to be self-aware. And I think uh, our conversation was a large part of when we spoke, I think I figured out that being self-aware is not as easy as we think it is. Uh, it needs a lot of own discipline. It needs a lot of focus. And being self-aware, becoming a big, better listener allows us to start being more empathetic. And when we talk about so. A lot of the output is about innovation, customer obsession, all the things that we want to do. That output is being done by people. These people are not the ones that we want to hire and then say, do this. I mean, Steve Jobs said, it doesn't make sense to hire smart people and tell them what to do. We hire smart people so that they can tell us what to do, right? So these people are pretty smart. All the people in our organizations, all the leaders are very, very smart but we tend to tell them what to do and we are not really tapping their potential. And we tend to tell them what we are doing because we are not listening to them. We are telling, we are a telling culture rather than a listening culture. And I think by being a coach, by bringing in coaching, not just at top leadership, but across all levels of leadership, it allows people to 
listen, be more empathetic and allow people to open up their potential. It's like the champagne bottle, which has a lot of fizz in it, but the cork hasn't gone off. And I think, how do you take off the cork and how do you let this champagne flow out? I think that's a dream that I have. Um, every single person in an organization should be inspired to do their best and no one should be told to do that. Um, it should come from the heart. It should come from what they feel. It should come from how they feel valued, respected, treated in an organization. And when we listen, when we are empathetic, there is trust and that trust translates into constructive partnership. And that allows a lot of our time, which is wasted in managing friction or managing disagreements uh, into constructive channelization of energy into bigger things and better things. So that's the way I look at coaching as a connect because coaching allows us to listen. Coaching allows us to empower people. Coaching allows us to create safe spaces. It allows us to stop telling people who are very smart anyways. And it allows us to ask questions in an open, constructive manner, which lets them come out with uh, how they can solve challenges, how they can do more. And I think uh, that potential is the one that I really look forward to. So that's my ambition, Ram. That's my wish. That's my dream to say, how do we do more? Uh, and I was listening to Lena Menon's video the other day, and she talked about how she can transform a million uh, leaders, how she can have a million women transformed and engaged and excited by her. And I think I don't have a number, to be honest, but I think for us, it's, if each one of us picks up one person and we can excite them, engage them, inspire them, I think we are started making the change. We are starting doing the flywheel of uh, empowerment. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we've had Lena here uh, from Unilever before, now that she's a CEO of Chanel. Let's, let's try and get her and you and a couple of other people on the panel to talk about these kind of things. But the dichotomy, truly, honestly, Akhil, is if I think back on the days when I was CEO and various other kinds of things, the kind of positions that you will be and you are now, et cetera, the dichotomy is really that um, someone mentioned it here. I think Prakash asked a question. Asia traditionally has a very command and control culture. It's not only Asia. Um, America, for all its talk about being um, whatever, uh, flatter and so on and so forth, uh, in, in really, if you go to the roots of it, it's still pretty much command and control everywhere. It's all about telling because whatever, the pressures of work and so on. So how do you finally marry this being a coach and being a leader? That, what are your a, thoughts? That, that's, a great, that's a great question. And I want to uh, uh, thank you for asking that uh, question. Uh, I think it's Prakash who said that. Uh, yeah, Prakash. Uh, we have a leadership principle and I'm going to read it out for you. The leadership principle is called have backbone, disagree and commit. And it reads as leaders are obligated so the word is obligated. That is no option. It's obligated to respectfully challenge. So there is respectfully and there is challenge decisions when they disagree, even when doing so is uncomfortable or exhausting. Uh, it says leaders have convictions and are tenacious. They do not compromise for the sake of social cohesion. Once a decision is determined, they commit wholly. Now see this Ram. The 16 leadership principles, this is one of them. And it takes into account the fact that there will be this hierarchy and seniority, but it puts into the responsibility of every single leader in the company to say, you are obligated to respectfully challenge things which you do not agree. And even if it is uncomfortable, even if it is tiring, even if it is exhausting, you are tenacious and they would not compromise for the sake of social cohesion, right? Uh, but once a decision is made, then the disagree and commit comes into play. Say, I disagree with this, but I'm going to walk the path with you now that we've made this decision. And I think that's one of the responses that I would have to Prakash to say, the, the culture is what we make out of it and no culture is sacrosanct. I think uh, Amazon introduced two new leadership principles around striving to be the Earth's best employer and also about scale and um, success bring broad responsibilities. It's not as if our leadership principles are stagnant or they're cast in stone and they will never change. I, I, in my time, this is two new leadership principles and then we had learned Be Curious, which got added in the last couple of years, right? So um, I would not worry too much about what the culture could be. I think I would worry about what the culture should be. And I think the leadership principles allows us the tenets and the framework to make that happen. 
Absolutely. I, I mean, that, that's phenomenally powerful. I'll just stop with this as a last question. And in your experience, um, in all these companies that you've worked with, Levers had its own principles. Uh, the RPG where you worked had, and now here. Things like this, which are difficult, where the challenging part of it doesn't come naturally for most people. And yet, uh, the leadership principle says that you should. How many people do you, what percentage of people do you really think make use of this and, and perform this and, and are also being respected for that? Great question. I don't have a number, Ram, but I can tell you that it's a small number. And that's one mm -hmm. of the reasons why this new leadership principle that uh, came in about empathy, about growing people uh, came into being. Um, when, when I talked about the psychologically safe space to voice your concerns, voice your dissent, voice your disagreements, uh, that space is what we want to build. And that is coming in from empathy. Once you have that space, more and more people. So it's not that people don't speak up, but there are people who might not speak up just because they feel maybe I'm new in the company. Maybe I don't know the topic well enough to be able to articulate my thoughts. Somebody has more experience, therefore they might. So there might be different reasons why people might not speak up. But if we were to think about this leadership principle, and I'll quickly read it out. It says, leaders work every day to create a safer, more productive, higher performing, more diverse, and more just work environment. They lead with empathy, they have fun at work, and they make it easy for others to have fun. They ask themselves, are my fellow employees growing? Are they, are they empowered? Are they ready for what's next? So they have a vision and they have a commitment to their employees' personal success, whether is it at Amazon or elsewhere. Now see how powerful this leadership principle is. It talks about employees' personal success. Now you can't have personal success and it says at Amazon or elsewhere. So it's not just about within the company we'll do, but beyond the organization we won't do, right? And I think the power is there. It's a question of getting this um, ingrained and lived by every single uh, leader here. And that's where the lead with empathy comes in to say, there is fun, there is empathy, there is listening, and there is that whole obligation to create the safe environment where people can voice up. I mean, look, Akhil, that, that's what I love about you. I mean, your answer was so honest and authentic. <laughs> Rather than taking the party line saying, oh, you know, a large number of people doing you said the percentage is small. And I appreciate that because that is really what it is. And our job as leaders is to try and see, even if that small number, even if it doesn't become too big, is it sufficiently powerful to make a difference? Does it provide that quantum of leaders for the future who can lead the organization in a different way? And thank you very, very much, Akhil. It's been an absolutely fabulous conversation with you. And I, I truly respect the culture of Amazon now. I mean, I, I just had a very recent ex example just the other day. For the first time, I ordered something which needed to be installed, not just bought and used. So, I was a bit wary about it. Normally you would have some installation guy coming in, putting in the warranty and this, that, whatever it is. And with Amazon, we said, we'd take the risk anyway. Uh, for the simple reason I couldn't find when I went to the shops to get something that I really wanted. It worked like a damn dream. Um, and uh, totally amazing in, in terms of the way the people followed up in terms of what uh, uh, they needed to do and the customer obsession was very 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 much was an evidence so uh, it, it's happening out there you are proud of this organization for the good reasons and your organization is proud of you we are proud of you thank you very much indeed take care all the best thank you so much ram um, it's a, been a great pleasure uh, thank you so much i appreciate this thank you Thanks everyone who joined us today. And um, because a few of you weren't here at the beginning, I do want to remind you that um, if coaching is something that you want to do, doesn't matter where you are in your career, we do have options to help you out as well, um, including if you're a super senior. So um, Akhil mentioned he's going to be training with us. He's actually gonna be joining Ram's program, which is open to senior leaders only. And um, 
you can then together geek out on how you're changing cultures in your own companies uh, using coaching. So if that's something that sounds like what you want to do, please reach out to us. You know how to reach us. I'm Magda at Kocharia, support at Kocharia. Whoever at Kocharia, we're here to help. Um, and we appreciate you being here as always. So I will see you most likely on LinkedIn tomorrow. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing a LinkedIn live. Um, <laughs> Neha, I think so. And um, I'll also see you here next week for another webinar. So thanks for being here, everyone. And, and until is, next time. That is thanks, the, Akil. Magda, the, the Magda of Kocharia. <laughs> the. There's only okay, one, thank God. Can you yeah. imagine if there was more than one? <laughs> I dread that. But anyway, yeah. but it's having when one is I fantastic. I do, and I'm the Magda. Having, having one is fantastic. Okay, great, Magda. <laughs> what with your blue hair and everything. Okay, goes well with my totally white hair and Akil's graying hair. Great, thank you very much. Someone's got to be silly around here. Okay, bye-bye, take care. Thank you so much for the opportunity and hope bye. it was a session which was useful for wonderful, everyone. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Akil. Bye, everyone. Okay. Bye. Bye.